But Okada, alas, I'm in a festive mood. After all, soon it is Christmas. And today is the last show of the year. So, actually, Okada, I, you understand, have a present for you. Welcome to the Pull Apart Podcast. This is Josh Heiser here with Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega, you son of a bitch. You just cost Okada's dream. What's so great about that? I'm James Prophet. JR just walked in, everybody. How you guys doing tonight? We are here to talk about our fourth feud. James, it is the end of 2019, a.k.a. the end of the decade. Congratulations for not closing with the world as we know it. And well I, done. I mean, we did... Sorry, this is very impromptu, but we did 10, 11 episodes? Uh, on feuds, yeah. Four Bretto and four Shantaker, and then two Ricky and Macho. Which Savage Steamboat, I should have said. Yeah, at this point have been released. So yeah, those and like a handful of kind of standalone goof off episodes. Let's see. Did you think on one one this year, if I would have told you, James, you're gonna have fifteen <laughs> podcast episodes under your belt, would you believe me? Uh no, I would not have. The the goal, like and Josh was here when this happens, this was very spontaneous combustion, uh, cheered on by our friends who this wouldn't have happened without their encouragement. It was just, I said, I want to record one podcast episode before the end of the year. And Josh right away is like, I love podcasts. I'll, I, if you want somebody to do it with, I was like, yes, please. Like, I'll do it. Let's do it. This was the idea we went with, doing wrestling feuds. And yeah, the idea was to get one. And after that one, we both sort of, Kind of fell in love with yeah, it, right? Yeah. Couldn't stop doing it. So the feud today that we are starting is Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada. Is that yeah. how you say it, James? Yeah, Kazuchika Okada. This is our first uh, Japanese feud. Yeah. Now, I know all of you are just chomping at the bit for this New Japan Pro Wrestling feud. I will say. <laughs> and we, we haven't gone dorky enough yet. We're yeah. going to do Japanese wrestling. It now. is modern, though. I mean, it's the last, like, five years. So. Right. And I think a lot of our audience, I'm sure, are, like, wrestling fans, right? Mm-hmm. So they're like, of course, Omega Okada. We know what this is right away. But we know some of our audience is not that, too. Not Either not wrestling fans or at least not current wrestling fans. Right, yeah. And I think, like, similar to us in, at the beginning of... 2017 when this feud started mm-hmm. may have been well similar to the the podcast foreshadowing if you would have told me that i would have been all in on japanese wrestling before this i would have thought you were crazy but um here we are yeah and yeah. as as you guys know from our favorite wrestlers episodes and different ones we have become fans so <laughs> we have a this, lot of favorites from from new japan now we'll talk about this more in depth but this is the feud especially the first match that really got a lot of people's eyes on New Japan. Right. And so, yeah, New Japan as a whole was sort of getting recognized among wrestling fans, some wrestling fans in America, for the Bullet Club, which was a faction in New Japan that essentially got famous in these part, this part of the world for having some English-speaking wrestlers that had been famous in America, like AJ Styles. Some gaijin. And for doing... Uh, the hand gestures of the NWO and D-Generation X yep. to factions famous during the Monday Night Wars. And it was just sort of like a throwback, like, oh, they're doing Suck It and Too Sweet. It's yeah. kind of fun. What it then became famous for, like, after you know, Bullet Club, they're a little bit known, but then this feud we're doing, Omega Okada, is famous for having, critically, the greatest match of all time followed by the greatest match of all time, the new greatest match of yes. all time, followed by a match that was as good as the first greatest match of all time, followed by the then once again new greatest match <laughs> of all time. reigning greatest match of all time. Right, the now reigning greatest match of all time. And that's according to Dave Meltzer, wrestling's yeah, afore, foremost critic. Aforementioned Dave Meltzer. So there's a lot, a lot to come. I think we'll have a few episodes of this, and we'll, let's get right into it. Stay with us. Oh, you're 
<laughs> We're going to talk about Kenny Omega. Kazuchika Okada. <laughs> so the... Am I, am I doing a bad Jim Ross in the sense no. that I'm doing Kazuchika Okada's name correctly instead of just like, oh, look at uh, uh, the, the the champion there. I feel like Okada is, <laughs> is not too bad for him, but definitely the first name. Not going to happen. Jim Ross always had, he's commentated a lot of New Japan in the last couple of years. Unfortunately. And it, yeah, it's always sort of weird. He's off his game. You get the impression he doesn't really learn the guy's names. Like, right. oh, you got a Shibata here, and he's doing, oh, look at that house kick. Look, look at that big, yeah. strong kick. It's embarrassing. It's a little embarrassing, but he's still maybe the greatest of all time. Um, Maybe not. So Mario Ronaldo, you I'm say my uh, end of the year or end of the decade commentator I would put up there against JR any day. I'm still saying that nobody touches Steve Mongo McMichael from <laughs> Just Kidding. But he wasn't in the Baby Doll. <laughs> the 2010s. So no, gonna make he it was with. not. Okay. <laughs> All right, James. So the beginning of this feud, if we want to go back before the the match that got everybody talking before that, there was... There was... Every year in Japan, there's something called the G1 yeah. Tournament, which is a round-robin tournament with about, I think, 16, 16 to 20 guys, yeah. depending on the year. And every person, they divided it into two blocks. Everybody in, like, Block A fights everybody else in Block, B, block A. Ditto Block B. And then you get a certain amount of points for pinfall wins, DQ wins, uh, and count-out wins, and draws, Yeah. And then whoever gets the most points in each block fight each other in the final. Then whoever wins that, this is like in June, July, August usually, whoever wins that big round-robin tournament gets the title shot on January 4th, which New Japan has been doing shows on January 4th since, I want to say, 1990, early 90s at least. And um, that show has come to be called Wrestle Kingdom. And so and it's kind of like the equivalent of WrestleMania, right? It's the yes, the New build Japan's of version the entire of year, um, mm-hmm. what everything is kind of pointing to, the biggest crowd, all of that fun stuff. Is that Wrestle Kingdom? Yeah, and I've been thinking lately, AEW really needs a prestige event like that. It's not clear what theirs is going to be yet. Yeah, but I think they're building towards Moxley versus Jericho. So whatever, whenever that match ends up happening, I'm thinking that's what they'll say. This is our big event. You think all out? Like is that, maybe because that's around the same time, isn't it? I can't remember when that. I don't want to sound lame. I don't think that's a good name for like your oh, I grand don't show. I think most of their pay per view names are kind of dumb. Full yeah, gear, like full gear was. <laughs> I mean, that's as bad as like roadblock or full gear. Like for those that watch it every week, like being the elite is like a. A little play on one of the just throwaway storylines okay. about Hangman Page being full gear ready, meaning like in shape enough to wear like his gear and stuff. But then because they always joked around with that phrase and they used it as a pay per view, they had to incorporate like what was it like cars and stuff or whatever they tried to play it off <laughs> as like gears, you know. They're uh, copying over the limit by <laughs> WWE. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's it's one yeah, bad idea followed by another bad idea. It's, it's a good call. I'm curious what their AEW's equivalent will be. but It's got to have the word wrestle in it, right? I'm assuming, yeah. I think we're Pavlovian at this point. If it doesn't say wrestle, we're not like, oh, it's not the biggest. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, so a uh, gentleman by the name of Kenny Omega... Uh, Canadian-born wrestler had just undergone a character transformation where at the previous year's Wrestle Kingdom, he was considered a junior heavyweight. Mm-hmm. He was he looked heavier than that, you know, and they'd say how he's like the very tip-top of the scale. Right. So the – and Kenny Omega was in this Bullet Club faction. He was sort of like the number two guy, right? The then leader, AJ Styles, who, if you're listening to this, good chance you know, unless you're a friend of ours, in which case, we love you. Right. And AJ Styles is just this phenomenally good professional wrestler. Yeah, they call him the phenomenal AJ Styles. He's unbelievably good. He's Shawn Michaels' talent level. 
And so he is going to leave New Japan to go to the WWE. And so they run an angle where Kenny Omega gets a big win in a tag match. And then he effectively kicks AJ Styles out of the Bullet Club, takes the reins of leadership, cuts a promo where he says, I'm not a junior. All you fans know I'm not a junior. I'm going into the heavyweight division. And then five months later, he wins this round-robin tournament to become the number one contender for the biggest show of the year. Cut two. Well. And in route to doing this, by the way, he's having amazing, amazing matches. Yeah, I think, I I don't, I didn't look, but I think some five-star matches even just that year in the G1. Yeah. He's definitely, like, turning heads um, across... Across the world, you know, absolutely not just in Japan. He uh, first competed for the New Japan Intercontinental Title. He had a pair of just unbelievably good matches with Michael Elgin. I think he had a really great match with Tanahashi, right? Mm-hmm. And then Hiroki Goto. Yeah, the Goto in the finals was. Finals. I think that was a five star yeah. match or four point seven five, one or the other, according to Meltz. So, so we're leading up. Uh, New Japan doesn't have a weekly show like a monday night raw or anything right so their promos and builds and stuff a lot of times happen at at the end of a pay-per-view yeah so it'll be after um like duntaku or something like that essentially everybody (laughs) will just come out and just cut promos on each other it is this weird thing where like in japan i think we mentioned this in another episode they treat pro wrestling like a real sport right complete with press conferences after the show and at these press conferences that's most of the time where they run their angles and guys will like do their promos and things like that so again kenny omega you know he's getting some play they're building his character mm-hmm. and then when it comes time for this tournament he's it's funny like there weren't really any great candidates to win. Uh, Naito could have been a good choice, but they wanted to save him for later, which ends up being funny where we're right. going with this. Yeah. But yeah, Omega gets the call to win the tournament. So there's a show um, just before the end of the year where Omega is... He says it's near Christmas and he's feeling festive, so he has a present for Okada. Yes, yeah, so this is the last show of the calendar year for New oh, Japan. So 2016, right? 2016, the last show before the Wrestle Kingdom event. I think it's like two weeks out. <laughs> the the go home show, right? If you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Japan, like Josh said, they really don't have a weekly TV show. And how they structure their company is when they do like events. Aside from maybe twice a year, Dominion and Wrestle Kingdom, which are like their super cards. Their events will only have, like, maybe two to four singles matches on them. And then the really big events might have, like, five singles matches. And they're usually, like, in clusters, too. So it'll be, like, a handful of Power Struggle um, events. Yes. Or, like, Road 2 shows. Um, It's great for keeping guys healthier, but at the same time, New Japan is horrible about just their guys beating the crap out of each other when they're having their wrestling matches. So I know uh, Nakamura apparently told AJ Styles. No, it wasn't AJ Styles. Who's come to WWE since Nakamura? Kenta. Was it Kenta? And then left again. I think Kenta came with Balor. Maybe it was Balor told... I forget. Somebody that came from New Japan told another guy that was coming in from New Japan, like, is WWE good? And they said, like, yeah, it'll extend your career, even with the tougher schedule. You know, it's just way easier on your body. Wow, I didn't see that. Um, So this is where we kind of first get a glimpse of what is to come, right? It's a few weeks away, but you see... So the present, of course, is... Uh, bullet club attack on okada mm-hmm. um there's a, a big guy named Fale. bad luck whatever his name is um and they all just kind of just beat the crap out of okada so a funny thing can i sidebar about Fale? Sure. so i've heard kenny omega give an interview and so in japan they're new japan wrestling they're wrestling in front of japanese audiences you'll hear american wrestlers yell cuss words a lot because according to Omega, it says like go to a foreign country. The only foreign language that everybody knows are the cuss words. 
So, like, I could tell you a couple of German cuss words, you know, but I couldn't tell you very much else in German. Right. Same in Japan. So, like, you'll hear people yell out swears in matches. I bring this up now because Fale, when he wrestles, wears a t-shirt that in English says, bum. Yeah, like, he wears that openly, like, during the matches. And so that's very striking to see, being from an English-speaking country. Yeah, well, I remember even just watching this um, when I was first getting into New Japan, wrestlers dropping F-bombs every now and then. Like, it's just not... It's not like they do it left and right, where it's just nonstop, but it's just... It's not a thing. Like, mm-hmm. so, so really the importance of this is Omega stands over top of Okada at the end. Holding up the belt. Um, yeah, so the big spot... Sorry, go ahead, yeah, Josh. No, you're fine. I yeah. get, go ahead. The big spot is that uh, Omega has this move, his finisher, called the One-Wing Angel. And so he gives Okada the One-Wing Angel through a table, like, two weeks before their big main event match at Wrestle Kingdom. This is key. Like, the fact that he gave him this move as an attack through a table is important because that the theme of a table comes up all the way through the rest of their matches that original sneak attack through the table it keeps resurfacing over and over with the guys still trying to one-up each other and get revenge or just make it even worse and you see like i think just seeing omega with the title even though of course he doesn't it's not his but it puts the thought in everyone's mind like he could win. He could be the new, you know, face of New Japan. Some guys just look good with a title. Omega looks good with a title. Yeah, right now, right now on AEW, he has, like, the AAA title or something. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that the other day, like, just him coming to the ring, even though he's not, like, the AEW champion, he just looks awesome because he's got this big belt on just for the heck of it. Yeah, like, Mr. Perfect always looked good with the title. Um, I thought Bret Hart looked good with it, like, yeah. over his shoulder, you know. Some guys just look good with the title. Cena. Cena. Yeah, John Cena. Cena's got a t-shirt of it in case he doesn't have one at the time. <laughs> okay, so this brings us to the Wrestle Kingdom press conference, mm-hmm. um, which is fantastic. What do you got on this one? So, so for, <laughs> for the people listening, they know I'm a big Kenny fan, and if anybody goes and watches any of these matches that we talk about, they'll see why as far as in the ring. But he's also an incredible promo, mm-hmm. which I think, I guess, going into this, I didn't know about because the first time I ever watched anything of his was the match itself um, from Wrestle Kingdom. But he does do the thing where he treats it as a sport. He takes questions seriously, like he, you know, talks about in this press conference, he just talks about, like, he spins it to where Okada's gimmick, if you will, is that he's, you know, cocky, he's rich, you know, he's got money, he's the The, rainmaker. Yeah, it's not like, and it's not like a Ted DiBiase rich, it's sort of like, this is the franchise of the company. He's the best wrestler. They had done a multi-year feud with the former top dog in the company, a guy named Hiroshi Tanahashi, who is another amazing pro wrestler. And Okada, his manager on the show is this guy named Gato, who is the real-life booker like the writer for New Japan Wrestling. And because fans know that, it's sort of this wink-wink, like, yeah, the company's behind him, he's the established champion, which would seemingly make him a heel, except he's He's so so freaking good, good, yeah, that it kind of became this thing when he finally, finally beat Hiroshi Tanahashi to become, like, the top dog. It was like, okay, we respect you for this journey, and... Right. He turned face sort of organically. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those weird things where it's like, this started out as a you know obscure th- thing about this person's gimmick, and now it's just like how we talked about with Sean, where he's you know he's a thirty-five year old guy dancing around with you know all this weird stuff from his <laughs> right. ten years prior. I think it's kind of like that. Like if if Okada was creating a new gimmick for himself right now i don't know that he would pick the same thing true but um, yeah but it just works because he's just such a good wrestler yeah um, but the way that omega spins it is that he's never had to struggle for anything um new japan is behind him he's their guy okada's had to um struggle his entire career to earn 
the spot. Um, he literally did earn it with a G1 t- um, tournament. So you mean Omega struggled his entire career? Yeah. yeah okay. So. Okay. And that's funny too because Okada brings up the same point except he reverses it. Like Omega said, he's had a fight for everything. Okada was handed it to him. Mm-hmm. And in the build at one point, Okada's face to face, I think it was in December, right? And he's just in Kenny's face. He yeah. says, like, there's no way somebody, Okada says to Kenny, there's no way somebody like you could beat somebody like me. Do you know why? And Omega just looks like pissed off. He's looking around and kind of motions with his arms, like, say it, go on, say it. It's like, you've never had to overcome what I have had to overcome. And so that like flies right in the face of what Kenny's doing. And so the implication there, Kenny's saying, you were the corporate chosen guy. I had to fight for everything. And mm-hmm. Okada's saying, you cheated to right. get here. I had to do everything the hard way. And over years of feuding with Tanahashi. Right, yeah. He ends the, Kenny ends the press conference by saying that this, he guarantees that this match is going to be a classic, which... I'm really, like, curious. I mean, in hindsight, mm-hmm. it is. You know, I, I wonder if that was just a throwaway line that he had just because he's trying to sell tickets or whatever. But I have a little insight into that. Sure. So I heard an interview with him afterwards. And again, after this match, I had I had heard the name Kenny Omega. I don't – I'd probably read the name Okada at some point. But as soon as this match was over – those names were everywhere. Josh and I had never once talked about New Japan, and we're texting each other like, "Oh my gosh, we I I we really want to like see this match. We need to see this, this match. match." Essentially, right? Yeah, it just became famous for being a great, great wrestling match. Again, like possibly the best ever. So I think we touched on it in the intro, or maybe not. But the um, the reason was is that it got six stars, right, on a scale of one to five. Right, this famous um, critic had been judging wrestling for like, gosh, it was twenty seventeen. So we're talking like thirty years. Yeah. He started out doing matches on a four star scale. He saw one is like, ah, this is better than all those. And then he was doing a five star scale, and then so for the first time in like twenty five years, twenty five, um, twenty whatever, twenty two or three. I have it here. I looked okay. it up because a lot of people like wrongly say that this is the first time he ever gave six stars but he did do it once in 1994 oh with, yeah uh, all Ma- japan masawa and kawada probably yes. wrong, but yeah it is all japan that match is on youtube and it's amazing it is amazing but regardless enough for like, james and i weren't familiar with that match either, <laughs> right so just hearing that it's 2017 and at the japan version of wrestlemania that was a match that like broke all these sorts of records as far as quality goes. Yeah, at that point, there were two things I knew about Wrestle Kingdom. One was that Jim Ross did commentary, and again, he used to be possibly still to a lot of people considered the best of all time. Mm-hmm. And so, hearing that he's commentating Japanese right away, I'm thinking like, dude, that would be amazing to hear like Jim Ross call some because again, Japan wrestling is reputed to be action packed, right? Um, sometimes it lives up to their reputation, sometimes not. But in my head, I'm like, that would be awesome. And I remember you and me and Tommy, our friend Tommy, hey Tommy, we almost ordered a Wrestle Kingdom one year just because Jim Ross was going to be doing the commentary. Yeah. In hindsight, I'm glad we didn't. I think we would have been disappointed with his performance. His performance probably, yeah, but not necessarily the the show we might have been excited for. But. And what we found out later, he does the taped versions of the yeah, show. Yeah, he does like the like the they have a, they do have Axe, a TV show, Access TV. Or yeah, whatever. where they air stuff a few weeks later, yeah. sort of like highlights. But yeah, the live show has totally different commentators. Anyway, we're so, so I can't here. remember. I I know that we I don't know if it was just a daily motion thing or what, but we watched it. It was on YouTube for a few weeks. Yeah. Um. So shortly after, I think we both watched. I think like. The same night, but like at our own respective houses. I forget which one of us sent the other one the text, but and yeah, just like yeah, like basically like, hey, it's available. You might want to watch it. Of course, it's like forty-five minutes long with right. like the intros. It's like an hour, so finding the time to do that, um, you have to set aside time yeah. essentially. Yeah, and I will say another sidebar, James. There was one other match I remember thinking like peaking interest in New Japan. I want to say a year before there was a five-star match of. Ricochet and 
Oh yeah. Osprey. Was that New Japan? I thought it was well, an indie. I guess it was um it was probably something in in the UK. I don't know what that was, but regardless it was yeah. the world out there, you know, it was <laughs> not outside just of WWE America outside WWE Ring of Honor bubble, or whatever yeah. else. So uh, I remember watching that, but it kind of had that same feel where it's like you got to find it on YouTube. Who are these dudes? I have no idea who they are. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, they're doing crazy stuff in the ring. Yeah, that Ricochet um, Osprey match is like a video game. It's just two people almost like they're wrestling on wires. Yeah. There's so much high flying in it. So so we watched the match. Omega Okada. We'll get into it, but afterwards we both were like that deserved the six stars like yeah. I, I understand where he's coming from and i think um it yeah i'm sure we you were like this too i think we were both like if that wasn't the best match i ever saw it's at least in the conversation like what else yeah like what other ones are up like you start doing the math of like yeah what matches are up there i james have a little bit more tendency to like fall into a i don't know what you would call it not a rabbit hole but like just become a fanboy sometimes of stuff like real quick. Everybody loves that about you too. <laughs> and so during this match, I remember because like I said, they're new to me, and I have like a soft spot for Japan, like the anything Japanese. I'm like all in for. So uh, during the match, there were points where I was like, I'm gonna become like an Okada nerd. Like this guy's amazing. And then just by the end, just being all all Kenny <laughs> well Kenny Omega's character work is just unreal in that match yeah see um I remember you and I saw it you know I sent the link to Tommy I th- remember he saw it a couple days later and he's texting me while he's watching it and I watched it with Ryan and Tommy and Ryan are going to be doing the end of the decade podcast with us and if, uh actually you may have already heard yeah, I was that I do the math <laughs> by the time you hear this but Watching it with Ryan, he turns to me and goes, like, Kenny Omega could main event WrestleMania. Yeah. And, yeah, he definitely could, which is a big compliment to give a guy that you're seeing yeah, for like the he, first time. Like he could be up there with, like, the likes of Triple H. Yeah. <laughs> Randy Orton. I think WWE offered him the biggest contract they've ever offered a new signee, and he turned it down. Yeah, I remember all those, like... If the rumors are true. ...months and rumors of everything about him possibly going there and everything, and just... He said they the came... The greatest, like, like, what if ever, you know? Yeah, and he said, you know, like, no one will know how close it was. There was one conversation uh, in the Japanese locker room where me and the Bucks said, okay, I guess we're all going to WWE now. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, so James, can we talk about the actual match itself? All right, can we talk about the build a little bit more? Of course. First? So we talked about the attack, the Okada, um, Omega doing the one-winged angel through the table, telling everybody in Japan, Merry Christmas. Yeah. fans, Merry Christmas to all. And to all, goodbye and good night. I keep wanting to sidebar. Did you know? So in Japan, they do celebrate Christmas as like an American holiday, sort of like we celebrate St. Patrick's Day a little bit. That I think I knew that. Yeah. Did you know that everybody orders fried chicken from Kentucky yes, Fried Chicken yeah, on I that? Did. Sort of just a That's random awesome. fun thing. Yeah. So cool. Thanks so proud. Yeah, in the uh, video to the match at Wrestle Kingdom, it essentially is more about New Japan Pro Wrestling, the company, than Omega Okada, even though it's exclusively about Omega Okada. So this is what I mean by that, okay? They talk about, you know, Kenny Omega, a rising star, blazing his way to the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. Okada, the dependable, you know, long-term champion, the face of the company. And so they're saying in the video, essentially, as a company, we're about to expand. We're going to go out of Japan. We're going to go worldwide. And so when they go to Omega, he says, how about we take this thing worldwide? How about we leave Japan? Who wants to change the world? Yeah, Kenny Omega's expression has changed the world. And so Omega says, you can't do that with a guy like Okada. He doesn't speak English. 
Right. You need somebody like me, somebody more charismatic. Let's evolve as a company. And I'm the man to take us to the next level. And Okada says, you know, okay, so Omega's had a good year, but you can't compare it with what I've done, what we've done as a company in New Japan. Okada is essentially equating himself to the company. Like, yeah. you see New Japan, you think Okada. You see Okada, you think New Japan. And so it's really, it's not just a match between a guy who attacked another guy. It's not just a match between the champion, champion and the number one contender. It's a match to see who is going to be the face of the company as they expand into what is essentially the United States of America and England. And so that gives it this whole other level. Well, it also makes you think, too, like, it almost feels like it's really building towards Omega winning, right? It does, yeah. It would make sense that the guy that's referencing DX and uh, NWO would become, like, the face of a company that wants to come to america and that build if i'd seen that build going in like if we watched the show live for whatever reason and they did that build going in if it was like a four-star match i'd think well that was a really cheesy build like oh yeah we're gonna invade america and you know take over the world with our great wrestling and then it was just an average match be like I'm not sold, you know, yeah. I can get that every week on Monday Night Raw right, right now, you know, but because they had this amazing match of all time, it almost retroactively justifies the pre-match video saying we're gonna go into all parts of the world, because after this match completed... They did. They did! <laughs> that, the quality of we this match... S- we saw them, like... Right. In Columbus, Ohio. I mean, they did come. Yeah, they did. The quality of this match, the buzz it generated, essentially, is what got them an American audience. Um, which is fascinating, that at the end of the day, it can come down to just wrestling for wrestling fans. Right. The quality of a match is enough if you like pro wrestling. Which I think is a big part of the the Bucks and Kenny and their like ethos, right? That there's all this extra stuff in other companies, but they're all about wrestling. At you know, the end of the day, yeah. The, even the words like saying pro wrestling, that's like a, a no-no in WWE. For it's the longest in, time, it's in, yeah. It's like, the name of New Japan. <laughs> right. And, um, of course, they leave in the in the end and create their own company, but still um, changing the world through their matches and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so match begins. Kenny Omega has an entrance where he is doing a tribute to the Terminator movies. Yeah. He shows up like he just landed. He does the Terminator 2 pose where he's like crouched down naked. Some street toughs bump into him and he says, give me your clothes. Beats him up, takes the clothes. He's dressed like uh, Schwarzenegger in T2 with a leather jacket and the shades. And he walks out and he's got kind of a fake machine gun and half of a Terminator mask on and again they call him they call him the cleaner Kenny Omega he's part of the Bullet Club so the Terminator theme the gun it all fits really well yeah this is kind of in contrast to his his character before like a few years before was a almost like a comedy wrestler mm-hmm. um, he'd mean, come out with a broom and like be sweeping on his way to the ring just, just like a goofball would do like yeah just do real silly matches there was a there's a the icy hot called DDT that's kind of known for just like ludicrous matches. Um, so <laughs> this is him kind of becoming, albeit still silly Terminator gimmick, but this is him becoming serious and focused. And so in DDT, is that where Kenny Omega wrestled the nine-year-old girl and was like selling for her. Jim Cornette had an aneurysm. By the way, I want to mention when I said <laughs> I love Jim Cornette, that was before this recent NWA controversy. Yep. I do not support that statement in any way. If it was a joke about starvation, like he said, I think that's still terrible, and I don't support that either. <laughs> but it was still after all of his other crazy comments. Uh, yeah. I'm just kidding, James. No, that's fair. That's fair. I, and I'm sure there's like tons of bad stuff that I don't know about. Like, when I think Jim Cornette, I think him talking about a bad 
Booker and saying like he wouldn't know bullshit from apple butter and think like what a funny line that's yeah. great so i do i i <laughs> uh, i wish i just wish he wouldn't have said that so much <laughs> Yeah, anyway, it's right. okay. I I can still enjoy Jim Cornette the character, and you can go back and watch some of Jim Cornette the person and <laughs> with his uh, tennis racket and everything time. else. So okay, all right. So Okada's entrance, conversely, can he do the Terminator deal? Do you want to talk about Okada's? So his entrance is the he has this pose where he puts his arms out to the side, and money falls from the ceiling with his face on it yeah okada bucks just the um who else has done that james like Uh, jbl's done it at wrestlemania i think donald trump's done it except uh, that was real money but i just mean like with their their sorry president everything president (laughs) and wwe hall of famer donald trump (laughs) so weird it's Um, so every time i think that it's just like i still it feels surreal like this is the plot of a movie that we all don't realize we're in or something bad movie Um, (laughs) so anyway so like we were talking about kind of reinforcing his i have a ton of money i'm you know but yeah at this point instead of it being like um rich it's sort of like he's the franchise player so he you know, he really is fun. the top. I mean, it is fun. The video for him is really cool, though, in the sense that, like, conversely, Omega sort of about like, oh, this guy's so tough. Okada's video is not about Okada; it's about New Japan. And so, the way his video goes, it just starts with like this view in space, and then it like zooms in, and it's the Earth, and then you see the camera just like zooming. You know, it's like going through the clouds, the atmosphere you know through the world and then it zooms and it stops in front of the tokyo dome and you see the tokyo dome and then the camera zooms it's just this rush and then the new japan pro wrestling logo appears on the screen and then okada's music hits while the new japan logo is up there so again once again it's okada equals new japan new japan equals okada and then he walks out as the representative to defend the honor of the company so to speak to take it globally with honor. Right. Japan being the honor-based society that it is. So, match starts. Um, they, it's like a 45-minute match. 45-minute match. It. I mean, there's... What I was telling James before we started, like, I understand most people probably don't have access to New Japan stuff. So this match is available on the internet <laughs> if you search for it. Um, Daily Motion. Daily Motion is a website that exists. We did not put it up there. <laughs> but it is worth watching. It's hard to explain just how amazing it is. The thing that I talked about before about suspension of disbelief, like... It's just all throughout this match. You just have no idea who's going to win. Mm-hmm. There, um, There's a thing that I love about it where they really protect the one-winged angel as far as nobody ha- at this point has ever kicked out of Kenny's finisher. So the entire time he's working on Okada's back and his midsection. And then moves to the neck. Yeah, trying to essentially set up his finisher. Yeah. So the one-winged angel, if I can describe this, he gets a guy. It's electric chair. Yeah, electric chair position. That's where a guy sits on the other guy's shoulders, except it's crotch to the back of the head, okay. right? And so then Omega will reach up and grab the guy's head and bend him downwards. It's kind of awkward. Yeah, right? and then he'll like jump down and drive the guy's neck and shoulders into the mat. And then just, like, kind of hold his leg there and pin him. Yeah. It looks pretty brutal. It looks like it could really hurt if somebody landed the wrong leg. And so, yeah, they build a lot of the match. Kenny's trying to build up to hitting that move. And they do establish he's the heel. Like, he, I think five minutes in, Okada gets a Rainmaker attempt. And Kenny just jerks his Rainmakers, by the way, Okada grabs the wrist. Wrist control. We'll talk about that later. And brings a guy in for a clothesline, kind of like Jake the Snake used yeah, to do. The to set face up the DDT. of New Japan's finisher is a clothesline. It's actually a famous <laughs> Japanese finisher is a clothesline. Okay, so Omega jerks his arm away and then he spits in his face. Yep. And again, respect culture. All the Japanese fans go, oh, yeah. And then Omega just like shrugs and he jumps out of the ring to talk to the Young Bucks, his second stream of match. Yep. And they're just like, that was nice, Kenny. Good job, man. <laughs> yeah, the Young Bucks, just for a quick reference, are also in the Bullet Club. Maybe the best tag the team in the world. Tag team who had amassed a pretty good um, reputation as the best tag team in the world. And they are real-life buddies mm-hmm. um, with Kenny, and they accompany him to 
a lot of his bigger matches. They're like, a lot like uh, the Rockers, you know, Sean's your guide. Not in the sense of the moves that they do, but in the sense that everything is incredibly well choreographed. Mm-hmm. And it it's so well done that while it's happening, you have no idea where something is going. And then when they end one of their like sort of chain sequences, it'll end with something spectacular. And you'll think like, wow, they had to be in the exact right position at that exact right moment else none of this would have worked and they'll do like three to four of those a match like they're really really good so they're out there supporting kenny and gato's out there um for okada yep one thing i kind of like about it in new japan is generally they don't they they're just out there for like support they're not out there you know trying to interfere with matches they don't run around and try to get the other guys managers or whoever's accompanying them Mm -hmm. um it's just like oh hey the bucks are there i forgot that they're out there you know they don't they didn't sometimes they do but they didn't come down to the ring with him this time um during his his entrance and everything yeah so. the seconds in new japan essentially exist as personality enhancers or if you want to get lit major static characters or secondary characters so they're there to bring out the personality of the person in the ring right so this match is actually a good example of that in the case of the young bucks they're kenny's like running buddies for mischief so like they'll encourage his bad behavior they'll taunt his opponent a little bit and then for okada you know sort of like the franchise player he's kind of a classy like very professional guy at this point yeah whereas gato uh, they call him the playmaker is he's sort of a he's got a, a dirty side to him you know like he's been a heel he's cheated a lot but he, kind he of doesn't of like a bookie almost. Yeah, like, yeah, he, he dresses like a bookie, yeah. you know, like and it's just this kind of cool contrast where we have like the classic fighting well-groomed champion Okada and then his corner man is like half-shaven sometimes, you know, just wearing his little hat um like a bookie. That's such a great way to yeah. describe him. And he has this kind of growly voice like Okada, Okada. Like, he'll say, essentially, like, he says stuff that Okada wouldn't say, but he's thinking, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so so the match, um, like we were saying, he Kenny is trying to get this move off the whole time. Um, you get the feeling half hour or so in that if he hits it, that's the end, right? Because no one's ever kicked out of it. Yeah. There's a spot where he has him up a few different times and okada just reverses it you know he'll slide out if i'm remembering the right match there's a time where he slips out and does a spinning tombstone was that this match or was that (laughs) yeah he does that i think in all four of the matches which is one of his kind of just signature moves yeah jump up in the air and do a twist before he lands with the guy's head on the mat yeah and the match ends with okada getting the rainmaker on him i think three times it, it's not the same as far as like it's, you can't kick out of it it's right it's like, yeah yeah it's sort of like seen as fu what it became or the st uh, the attitude adjustment yeah where it can finish a match but also if like a mid carter kicks out of it sort of like okay he'll hit a couple more than get the pin right so one of the things you brought up that omega went for the um one winged, one winged angel several times, but he could never hit it. Okada always escaped, right? The one winged angel and Kenny Omega's quest to hit this move on Okada is the, I think, the main central thread through all of these four matches. So it's super important that Omega did not hit this move in the first match. Yep. Also, the fact that Omega did not hit his finishing move and still had maybe the greatest match of all time, 45 minutes, without using a signature move. Amazing. I, I what a good wrestler. I remember just loving, like, that's the kind of thing where if you knew that going in, you'd be like, what the hell? Like, he didn't even get his finisher? Like, not to crap on the WWE, but I, I mean, feel they... like a lot of times in WrestleMania matches especially, it's like they'll just do two or three of their, their finishers over and over just to be like, Hey, it's mainly just to pop the crown. Get your get your money's worth, you know. I don't know if it's more fair to blame Kurt Angle for his TNA work yeah. for uh, like finisher spamming or Shawn Michaels Undertaker for their first match, but it's definitely I think one of those two things that started the finisher spam trend in um, 
North American Wrestling. Yep. And so it's it was nice to have a match this good where one of the guys didn't hit his finisher at all. Well, I think like this being the first time we ever see them, we just assume you know we're we're gonna see that move. Yeah. And when they keep talking, like he goes for it like what four times. Yeah. And the commentators, by the way, some of the odd, my favorite match for commentary of all time is this first match. Nice. Steve Carino and Kevin Kelly just do such a phenomenal job of conveying the story mm-hmm. and then conveying the joy that they are feeling watching this match. Kevin Kelly is awesome. Yeah, Kevin Kelly him. had been a pro wrestling commentator for about 20 years, 20, 25 years at this point. Steve Carino is a former pro wrestler. And just talking about the match, um, I, I, I want to talk about this in a second. Sure. It has my favorite one line of commentary ever that's not comedic, okay? Yeah. At least maybe second that's to JR's, oh my god, they killed him yeah. for Mick Foley. Okay, so I want to talk about the big spots in this match because there are three big spots that are yeah. – Super dangerous, and on one hand, elevate the match, and on the other hand, I'm not sure I ever want to see any of these things done again. Yeah. Even though one of them we do see again. Yeah. Okay, so the first one is a backdrop, right? Mm-hmm. So here's what happens if you've never seen it. Kenny Omega, again, the story of the table, okay? Right. Uh, Kenny Omega, before, like we had talked about, he won Winged Angel Okada in the build to the match. Okada gets out a table during the match, okay? And he tries to use it, and the ref kind of stops him. Kenny Omega takes over. He grabs the table. He just, like, throws it on top of Okada's limp body outside the ring and then, like, jumps on it and stomps him, like, double foot a couple of times, right? And then he sets up the table, and he goes to one-wing angel Okada through the table again. And the ref stops him from doing it, Okay. So what happens is he gets Okada back in the ring. He decides he's going to, like, I think, somehow get Okada through the table. But they do an exchange where it ends up that Omega tries to throw Okada into the ropes, I think. Okada reverses it. Omega comes bouncing off the ropes, and Okada does a back body drop so high that Omega... They're in the middle of the ring. Omega flies all the way out of the ring on a back body drop. And crashes through this table. Now, he lands perfectly, okay? And he had to trust the crap out of Okada to trust him to spot that that well. That being said, the area around the ring for Wrestle Kingdom was like the area between the guardrails and the ring was not very much. It was maybe like five, six feet. And then there was this one spot where there was about maybe a one-foot step up. Okay, so there's like this hard edge and the table when it breaks and when Omega crashes through it, he lands like back first. Like He crashes through the table, so that kind of breaks his fall. Yeah. But he also lands like back into that edge where it drops off. Head is almost like up against it. Yeah, like right away. I'm thinking like because I thought he hit his back on it. And instantly, my mind goes to Sean Taker in the casket match. Like, that put Sean out for four years. He thought his career was over from it. I'm like, why would you do that? That, you just put your career totally on the line for one move in a match that you don't need it for. For a back body drop. For a back body drop. And (laughs) it's the best, most impressive, most exciting back body drop I've ever seen. Yeah. But I never want to see it again. Yeah. All right, so that's one. The second one, there's a move called the Dragon Suplex, where essentially you get a guy in a full Nelson, and then you suplex him, and the guy kind of lands on his head and neck. And it's freaky enough as it is. Like, you have to do it perfectly to really not hurt somebody. That's on the mat, okay? In this match, Kenny Omega does that move to Okada off the top rope. And Okada lands, like, dead on the top of his head. If he doesn't hit his head, he misses it by centimeters. Like, it's freaky. And Steve Carino, the commentator who's a wrestler, even says, I think Kevin Kelly's like, oh, my gosh. Like, again, they're so excited, but then that move happens, and it takes them out of it for a second. And Steve Carino says something like, when Okada has neck fusion surgery in two years, he's going to remember that move from this match. Because you don't want to see guys get really hurt, you know. And that move, again, so freaking risky. 
The third thing <laughs> is there's a spot where Kazuchika Okada struggling to his feet. Kenny Omega climbs to the top rope, and he does a drop kick to the back of Okada's yeah. head. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? And it's brutal. Dude. Like, yeah. There, there's a full few of on those strength. that we do see throughout the other matches. Yes. They do both, that one again. Both of them. I mean, Okada, one of his other signature moves is the drop kick. Mm-hmm. And he does it where it's like, like you were talking about before, like, strong style, where it's like, I'm going He's to legitimately hit you. Drop and, kicking them. Right. And again, Japan's like that. Guys have weird stories where, you know, before all the stuff that's hard to think about, Chris Benoit had told a story about when he first started wrestling in Japan. He was like working like North American style where you're kind of pulling things to protect mm-hmm. your opponent. And the guys were just beating the crap out of him. And then when he started like hitting hard back, he realized, okay, they'll soften up a little if you hit hard back. And that's sort of the Japanese pro wrestler code to put on a good show. You legit lay in your crap to hurt each other. You don't do it your absolute hardest, but you want the fans to know. I mean, like, the moves where, you know, it's not just like a punch or something where it's like a a drop or something like the Mm -hmm. one-wing angel. Like, Kenny's... He's protecting his opponent. the whole time, but it just looks more... emphatic and it is riskier like if there's a higher risk for if something goes wrong like if something goes wrong and f you you're pretty safe so once we started watching it two of my favorites like almost died slash aren't wrestling so like shibata his career effectively ended he got a concussion (laughs) he might be coming back now might be coming back but i mean it's been years or so yeah and then takahashi like broke his neck and was out for over a year so yeah i guess it it is a risk versus reward kind of thing right and that happens in wwe usually with guys that do the spear (laughs) yeah but um yeah it's it's crazy so there was one other very um minor move that i i comes up later in the feud where omega is over the um guardrail he's in the crowd essentially mm-hmm. and okada runs and does a body press flying body press on omega pretty like just kind of oh they're outside like kind of cool yeah um, but it comes back up later on in the feud so just and when he hits the flying f- body press like he jumps over the guardrail because omega's yep. in the crowd and Omega crashes down onto like a bunch of chairs that people are sitting in, yeah. or had been sitting in before. It always looks just moved so away. reckless, like stuff it does, like that. yeah. Um, so yeah, so we we highly recommend going and watching it for yourself. <sighs> yes. I just watched it a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna watch it again this week. Yeah. So going into this match of the decade, or these decade awards, this was one of my nominees for match of the decade. You'll know if it wins or not by the time you hear this. I'm still not positive, but it's on the well, that, short list of that, finalists. That's one thing I was going to ask you. Um, so I think we finished it right. He kind of wins with the, the. There's one more thing I want to talk about, but yeah. yeah. Okay. No, we'll, we'll, go, do, go no ahead, we'll do it next. No, let's do this first. Well, I just was rewatching it for the first time in whatever, a year or two. Like, oh, does this still have like all of the. Lust the magic? Of, you know, like, and it totally does. Like, the, it's just such a good match and i i knew going into this um us discussing it we're going to rank i'm assuming (laughs) the four matches like we did with the other feuds Mm -hmm. i just don't know man like (sighs) i know like this one when i watched it was like yep number one and then i watched the second i'm like yep number one you know just (laughs) right (laughs) like just keep watching it back and forth (laughs) i had this weird moment with uh the second one and this speaks to how your mood can't affect how much you enjoy a wrestling mm-hmm. match the next match we're gonna t- not the next match but the next omega okana match we're gonna yep. talk about i watched it and like we said it's a really beloved match i was kind of bored and i wasn't getting it and then i thought i need to give this another shot so like a week later i watched it again like oh no this is every bit as good as the first one yeah. i was just missing the story i and when I watched it the first time, it was like 11 at night, and I was so tired, I was struggling to stay awake. Okay, so what was the other thing you wanted to talk right. about, James? So, uh, the other thing is one of my favorite wrestling calls ever, okay? So, we described what the Rainmaker is. That's sort of like, Okada will grab a guy's wrist and then bring him in and clothesline him with the other arm. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a knockout blow. And they have this thing in Japan, which, it's called maintaining wrist control. And essentially, it's you're holding a guy's wrist... Right. And the psychology that they 
say again this is sort of like throwing a guy into the ropes mm-hmm. and he's gonna bounce back right. in pro wrestling in japan if you hold a guy's wrist you're essentially in control like you have his waist and his back if you're like a collegiate style wrestling mm-hmm. it i love it now but it took me a minute to get into the idea of like he's got wrist control like no, he's not. He's holding his wrist. The other guy should just kick him, according to the psychology of pro <laughs> yeah. wrestling. Poke his eye, anything. Now I love it, but I thought it was a little dumb at first. What do you think? And I totally forgave it right away. It was just like, eh. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of the same as you, um, but also, like, the fact that it is such an important part of Okada's finisher. Yes. And he's what we've talked about as, like, Mr. New Japan, like, the face of this whole style of wrestling that's new to everybody. Yeah. Kind of is a happy accident where, hey, if you're going to understand risk control, like, (laughs) here's your guy. Right, let's just make it up for him. Like, oh, he's got risk control. So why bring that up? What happens is he hits the Rainmaker, and he doesn't let go of the guy's wrist. And so right away, Kevin Kelly goes, maintains risk control. And so what's going to happen here is you think Okada's going to pick him back up and just do another Rainmaker, okay? So he picks him back up, and Omega starts fighting back. And Omega gets some forearm shots in, and he gets some knees to the face, okay? And they, like, sound brutal. So, like, Omega does this knee, and what you hear is... Like, he does, like, three of them, and every time the audience is right there with him going, like, oh! Because it looks brutal, it sounds brutal. I'm so glad you brought it up. There's the V-trigger, which is basically him running and then doing this knee, but there's also just the ones where he's standing and doing them. And I think that was probably the thing that really won me over for him, Mm -hmm. like, for his side, more than anything. They're just unreal, like... I watched one a few times back this evening, just trying to figure out how he does it. Like, how does he not like, like break somebody's jaw every them. time? It's yeah, just crazy. It doesn't look like he's pulling it at all. It's so good, and that speaks to his athleticism for whatever he does to not break a guy's face with that move. Right, the coordination and everything. Yeah, because he'll do it like ten times a match, and yeah. it's never boring because it's always like, oh, that's every so time. good. So Kenny's doing this stuff. You know, there's one bad V trigger, James. You want to know who it was against? Who? Chris Jericho. Of course, of course. <laughs> go, go I'm ahead. a Jericho fan, but. He's well that AEW video that said forty eight. He's in the prime of his career. <laughs> it was kind of awesome. All right, so Okada's got the wrist. Kenny's doing all this brutal looking stuff to break it. And these last few things, you know, like he'll hit a knee and he'll just try to like shake his arm free. And Okada's still holding on, he'll like hit more forearms. Okada's still holding on. He revs back to hit another knee because Okada still got his wrist. And instead, Okada pulls him in this final time after taking, like, four blows. And he hits a second Rainmaker and collapses with Omega. And so when he did this, you know, the whole time, Kenny's hitting these moves. Commentators are going, he's still got him. He's still got him. And then he hits it. And Steve Carino, the former pro wrestler, just sort of joyfully shouts out, he didn't let go. <laughs> like, it's such a happy moment. I think it's Karina. It might be Kel- Kelly, but um, that's my second favorite call ever, aside from, oh, my God, they killed him when Mankind flew mm-hmm. off the cage. Um, again, that's like the joy of being a wrestling fan. When he, you were talking about one of your favorite things is when you get so invested yep. in a match. Like lost in it. It's amazing to me that a guy that is in the profession that knows exactly how the sausage is made is like a 15, 20-year veteran doing commentary – gets so enthusiastic just watching a good match that he just joyfully yeah he loses himself he's into the match and then it's right after that okada hits one more rainmaker kevin kelly does this iconic call he does with all of okada's okada's finisher rainmakers where he'll scream like uh the european commentators scream goal during soccer I'll go, Rainmaker! And then he finally gets the pin. And ah, it's exhausting to watch in a purely, I keep using the word joyful, but that's how I felt watching this match. My friend, your friend, our friend, friend of the podcast, Bill, 
we were watching a match that we're going to talk about in a future episode. The opposite of this match. The uh, uh, the opposite of this match. Well, I I have a controversial opinion on that. We'll we'll I'll save. Uh, we'll get Bills when he's on the podcast. But so watching it watching it something with our friend Bill, and he asked me, "Is one of the reasons you like wrestling is because it's sort of this like violent, cathartic thing if you're having a frustrated day." It's just sort of you watch this violent thing, and it's a little – it's like an exhale. It's relief. And he was talking about you know how he likes horror movies. He's a big horror movie fan. And how sometimes just seeing that, it's just this nice little like, ah, this is you know nice. This is fun to get some of the frustration out of your system. And it's harmless. And it's harmless. Yeah, it's completely harmless. And it is for me. And so – Watching a match like this, it's sort of like not only the enjoyment of wrestling, but I, I keep using the word joy because it's such a fun thing to do. If somebody said, I want to watch an action-packed wrestling match, this might be the one I put on. Yeah. Of the thousands we've seen, this might be the one. And that they can maintain that pace for 45 minutes is insane. And the fact that they do this three more times is insane. Yeah. So, right. so we will be ne- back next time with the second match of these two. James, how are you feeling about this feud? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's good? I, so it's funny, like going in. Did we talk about on air if we weren't sure how this episode would go? Josh brought up, and I'd thought about it too. We weren't sure how it would go, mostly talking about one match. Because right. normally we'll talk about the big story and then we'll spend like five minutes just discussing our feelings about a match, right? Mm-hmm. This time I think we've talked about the match for like 30, 45 minutes, right? Almost, what is that? Like is it McEnroe or so, some famous match that's got like the um, moniker of the match? Talking about John like McEnroe? Tennis. Yeah, I think it's a tennis match or something. Okay. That'd be Macro and Michael Chang? I got I nothing. Know. But but I kind of think that about this match. Like, it's it's the match. Like, it's a almost like a time marker before and after this match. Okay. So, so do you want a, uh, a ranking question since we love sure. this? <sighs> All right. This is tough, okay? Would you say this match is better than any of the Sean Taker matches. Yes. Do you think this match is better than the two big Savage Steamboat matches? Oh, James, what are you doing? Okay. It's freaking like... Uh, we, we're going to give you time to think about that. Almost midnight on a Wednesday <laughs> night, and you're asking me what's It's better. the night before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, I am thankful for this match. James. I am thankful for this match. Um, yeah, you don't have to answer I, that. We can talk that, about that later. I think Okada Omega 1 is better than those matches. It's just kind of really it's hard special. to say it. It's a special match. Yeah. All right. Well, you didn't ask about Brett and Owen, James. I didn't. All right, Josh. Well, this my is, favorite, this is where the my favorite match the road. until this match of all of our feuds is the SummerSlam match. Brett Owen in the cage. That's your favorite. Yeah. And I think mine was Brett Owen at WrestleMania. So it's hard because, I mean, there's a little bit of nostalgia at this point with Omega just because it's been two years. Yeah. Almost. No, it's been three but the amount of nostalgia with Brett and Owen is just you can't you can't replicate that. So it, I'm pretty sure I watch this and I think like oh I like this more, and then I'd watch Brett Owen and be like no I just don't have the connection. Yeah, like this this match doesn't have Brett in it. So <laughs> which one did I watch last? That's the one I like the most. I I do think this match is better though. I think this is aside from any of their other ones maybe is the best match ever. It's funny, like this match, January 4th, 2017, two months before this, there was this match at a takeover, of course. It was. Usos versus New Day? No. <laughs> it was DIY <laughs> versus The Revival. Yes. Okay, two out of three falls in Toronto, NXT Toronto takeover. And at the time, I thought this might be the greatest wrestling match I've ever seen. Just the psychology, the action, the story they told, the false finishes, um, everything I thought just clicked so well. And then this match happened two months later, and I thought, well, now I'm not sure. It, one of the Either one of these matches, I'm not sure which is the best I've ever seen right now. Well, not to be like too grandiose, but this really does, it changes everything. Like we talked about, I mean, the, the next year, was it 2018, that was just like five-star match after five-star match, mm-hmm. just all over the place. I mean, just 
NXT, WWE, everywhere it was going on. I feel like maybe people, you know, wrestlers were like, okay, I have to step up my game. <laughs> like, they ain't playing anymore. Like, we can't just co-star on the name WWE. Like, we have to actually really compete with other organizations now. Yeah, and like three weeks later at the Royal Rumble, um, AJ Styles had a rematch with John Cena from their amazing SummerSlam match. Mm -hmm. And I remember that there was talk like, okay, this match, Omega Okada got so much buzz, they're going to try to top it. And they came darn close. They They probably put on the match of the year for WWE three weeks after this. Yeah, it's cool too when you think about like it's January fourth and it's the match of the year. Like, right? <laughs> like it's all downhill from <laughs> well, here. Well, voters remember this come yeah. voting time, and they did. Yeah, this was the observer the, match of the year. I'm pretty was, sure. What's he call himself? The match M O T Y. No, best bout machine. That's what I was. The best bout machine. Yeah, uh, the six star. Didn't call himself the six star machine for a second. I can't remember. There yeah, was a, there was definitely a pro wrestling tee with six star something on there, but. <laughs> I remember the best bout machine when Kazan was bought it. So, next time we will get into the second match, and then we'll get more into some some of his good promos as well. So, um, hopefully you guys are enjoying this. Like I said, go try to check some of it out. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Thanks, everybody. The reason was is that it got sick stars right it's crotch to the back of the head because i thought he hit his back on it does the terminator 2 pose where he's like crouched down naked some street toughs bump into him and he says give me your clothes beats him up takes the clothes he's dressed like schwarzenegger in t2 with a leather jacket the shades i don't want to sound lame i don't think that's a good name for like your oh, I grand don't show i think most of their pay-per-view names are kind of dumb <laughs>